Hi, this is Ellie Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this vodcast I'm doing on October 7th, and I gave this talk on October 6th. And uh, you'll see why the dates mean something uh, as the concluding slide. And I was asked to give this talk, 3D imaging uh, from theory to practice, including other stuff we do in terms of research in, ter in imaging or computers to this meeting with had a lot of biomedical PhD type students. So it was really to non-radiologists, but I think this is very good for radiologists and for techs and everybody else because I'll show you some of the things I told them and it really did force me to focus on some points, but also come to some revelations, which we'll talk to after. Now, I mentioned something we all know, that the job in radiology is, in CT specifically, is to take scanned data and transfer this into mission-critical information for patient care and deliver this information in a timely fashion to our referring physicians. And the goal, of course, is to optimize the care of our patients. We try to do personalized radiology, the right test for the individual patient done correctly, interpreted correctly, and then delivering that information to the referring physician as quickly as possible so they could use it at a point of care. Okay, that's what we're trying to do. So we were talking to people who were researchers, and sometimes people in research forget what it all means at the end of the day. Just doing research for research's sake, no matter how good it is, probably isn't where you want to be. Now, I was trying to give them a little bit of history, which I was asked to do, and the Yogi Berra quote was kind of good um, that if you might be careful if you don't know where you're going because uh, you might not get there. And I showed our experience at Hopkins in CT in 3D. We started with the original Siemens equipment where they had some 3D running on the, on the scanner, literally. We then went to the Pixar computers. We then went to Steve Jobs' next company after Pixar, which was Next. We then worked on Sun workstations and then SGI workstations, the expensive ones, the Onyx and Infinite Reality workstations, and then their cheaper $50,000 O2 workstation with special boards. We then went from the fancy workstations to Dell to more of a off-the-shelf hardware, running these VP1000 boards or NVIDIA. And then we went to... HP workstations with NVIDIA boards, and now we're doing things on iPads. So we really have progressed from a system that costs $300,000 to one that costs, you know, one-twentieth of that. I also showed, to put things in perspective, where we were when we got started. That was, if you're really good, some hips, okay? Well, I showed this journal, to really date myself maybe, February 1986. That's 20, almost 25 years ago. And that's Marcus in the front cover, who's no longer head of the Philippines, obviously. And in that article, if you look very carefully, you can look this up online, uh, there's talk of Steve Jobs buying a company called Pixar. And those are a couple of the images that Pixar made when it was part of Lucasfilms in Young Sherlock Holmes, for example, that uh, special glass scene. And it made the point that Steve was getting involved in the movies. And then if you look really carefully on the next page, and if I blow that up for you, it mentions that some of Pixar's best applications, or maybe its best application, will be in medicine. And this was some of the work we did with them at RSNA, and uh, it never worked out that way, but it really pushed us forward in 3D imaging. Now, what did that mean? That's what Lucasfilms did. Bob Drebin and Pat Hanrahan and the guys. First image, the fat lady we called her. You know, muscle, fat, bone. No one ever could do that before. And it rotated around. It took over a day to reconstruct four millimeters by three millimeter thick sections, 50 slices, but it was a major advance to what I showed you before. 
Within a couple of years, we could make those images much better. Even with four millimeter thick sections, look how nice the images could look. We got the rendering down. Derek and I got the rendering down from 24 hours to a little more than an hour. And we even can do the whole body. Well, today I can do the whole body. I can scan that body in 10 seconds. Then I can reconstruct it on my iPad in real time. Well, it was a little bit different when we did this case because it took us seven hours to scan the patient. We had to move the patient in the middle. We'd, our techs did a great job, but this was a patient, by the way, it was a cadaver, the, a patient who really recently passed away. Seven hours of scanning, and then when we sent the images to Pixar, Bob Drebin had to spend hours and using many Pixar computers. So it took us seven hours, not 10 seconds. It took millions of dollars, not $800 to make the images. But it was progress. And in fact, the whole idea about volume rendering was something we did in the mid-80s, you know, working on the things developed at Pixar. And I remember when people argued that this volume rendering was nonsense, that Surface was the only way to go, that this was totally ridiculous. But there it was. We were showing muscle and bone and vessels and fat, and everyone else could only show bone and could show it really poorly. And in fact, the article that changed everything was the volume rendering article. Bob Drebin, Lauren Carpenter, and Pat Hatterhan in computer graphics in 1988. Now we move forward on 3D imaging, and this was a state of the article, state of the art article I wrote in Radiology, 1991. That's a bit ago, and I was making the point that 3D is becoming valuable, and I predicted by the end of the decade that it would be widely available. Well, I was just a little bit wrong. So in fact, 15 years later, I wrote this other article saying on 3D visualization and radiographics, we predict within a few years, 3D CT will no longer be a specialized study done on select patients, but will also be part of review of routine cases as well. Well, not exactly right yet, but I'm getting closer. At Hopkins, it's a critical part of what we do. That's our 3D exam volume over the last six years continues to grow. And these are when the physicians request 3D imaging. We do many more with 3D, because I want to look at it in 3D, but these are the ones requested. And as I showed the audience, there are so many things we do, from cardiac imaging, from vessel analysis with cardiac imaging, to looking at patients with abdominal pain and ischemia, with nicely shown a clot in the patient's SMA. We look at transplant evaluation and kidneys post-transplant where we're looking at the anatomy and here's a transplant left lower quadrant in 3D mapping with the details and here it is from bone removal and from the back showing you nicely the anastomosis which is undoubtedly patent. Surgeons are doing greater studies than ever. Look at this patient dissection. They put this graft in which goes literally from the thoracic aorta to the uh, superficial femoral artery. Notice the left iliac is occluded. Beautiful dissection. And we analyze that graft further and you can see it proximally and distally. You do the vessel tracking. We can analyze massive information in just a couple of images. And literally from head to toe, we can image quickly. We can image inside organs and virtual colonoscopy is a good example of 3D mapping, which improves detectability of disease. And with all that, we know the future of CT is not in more slices, but again, more information generated per study. So everything we look at is not scanned data, but the information generated. And I've shown this slide to you before, I believe making the point and trying to show them that on an axial image you can make the diagnosis of Crohn's and on a coronal image you can show the extent a lot better but if you want to look at disease activity you need to look at the three D's to show the 
the uh, vasa recta and the volume renderings to show the thickened bowel and the strictures and putting it all together one data set massive information or being able to detect in this case an image of a patient with carcinoid tumor that's hard to see on those axial images even with the circles and a little bit easier to see maybe in the coronal with the circles but look at the MIP imaging look how much more obvious those lesions are and here it is again with bone removed look at those 25 to 30 carcinoid tumors so again what we see and what we're able to see is dependent on how we look at things and the whole way of 3d as I comment to them is not just pretty pictures pancreatic cancer detecting smaller tumors as in this case Again, size of tumor is not necessarily a predictor of resectability, but there's no doubt the smaller the tumor, the more likely it will be resectable. And we have shown with 3D mapping that patients who come to Hopkins, the pancreatic clinic, in 18.7% of the time, we could change the information, either the disease process or the staging of disease, all by doing the examination within the volume, within 3D. Now, Karen Horton wrote this article talking about errors in diagnosis, and one of the common things for many of the errors she spoke about was how we looked at the information. If you only looked at axial, you could miss a lot of things. Coronals and sagittals and 3D maps got rid of a lot of those errors. Now, in saying that, I mentioned the beginning communication. Well, how we communicate has changed, and the iPad is probably the best example. It's hard to imagine the iPad has been shipped less than two years ago, and it's become central to many of the things we're doing and plan on doing. Our clinicians can look at an iPad, look at the patients, and then whether they're doing 3D or 2D, they can see the information, they can see it interactively with an easy-to-use interface, kind of this anywhere, anytime, on any type of iOS device it's possible to do, bedside, home, with the patient, with themselves, with the referring clinicians like us, with the radiologists, and again, a platform taking advantage of changes, NVIDIA, for example, new hardware, Tesla, OpenGL, real incredible possibilities that the iPad brings to the surface. Now, I also said as part of what we do in terms of imaging, we also do education. And it's hard to separate our educational mission from our teaching mission, from our patient care mission. And obviously, the reason you guys are here listening to me is because you're on CTSS. And whether you're on YouTube or the Apple Store, you know that CTSS, every week we provide lectures. I showed 146,000 plus cases. You can see every Monday the lectures. I made the point about the syllabus material and text and everything else is all available online. And I showed an example of how many people we touch every day. It's 78 countries. But if you look at this map on this one day, I, I saved the screenshot. It also shows Russia as one country. Last time I looked, this was not 1948, and Russia is a whole mess of countries. So the, the way it looks here is besides Greenland, which is a piece of ice, there's only a few countries in Africa that really aren't logging on. So it's impressive. We also provide, as many of you have looked at, uh, stuff on the Apple Store and the CTSS iQuiz. Literally, this is going to be a uh, thing coming out from Apple about education. It's where this comes from. But we are one of the highlighted things. And you can see here, we just released the latest version, September 30th. So something that's available, iTunes Store, for free. 
on the iPad or the iPhone, and here's just an example. And then, of course, this whole idea about interactive rendering on an iPad, the Siemens Single Viewer, which you can download, test, play with, a lot of sample cases, something, again, whether you're a customer or not, it's something worthwhile to look at because you can really see where things are going. And this idea of mobility, the idea of fast imaging on cheaper devices, high quality is really where the future is. And when you think about it, if you try to put everything I showed you together, it's really a focus on imaging and patient care and education and putting it all together. There's a great quote from Steve Jobs that people think focus means saying yes to the thing you've got to focus on, but it's not what it means at all. It means saying no to the hundreds of other good ideas that there are. You have to pick carefully. And I think we are really focused in this area, and hopefully that focus kind of brings us success and improves our patient care and improves the information we can deliver to you. So let me just end my talk there, but let me just make one last comment. And I mentioned at the beginning of this talk that this was October 7th, and I put together the talk on October 5th and October 6th. And everyone in the world knows that on October 5th, two days ago, Steve Jobs passed away after a um, many years of trying to uh, fight cancer. Um, and uh, everybody, it was amazing when you read the newspapers, the, the famous people and not so famous people, whether it was in Malaysia or Japan or in Cupertino or in Baltimore, people were lining up at the Apple stores to put stickers on. Just very, very impressive of a person, you know, as the, all the articles have said, really touched everybody's lives and really was one of the great icons of the 20th and 21st century and putting him in the category of Edison and Ford, people whose success and changing of the world is never questioned. and there's, there's no doubt about that. I think the reason I comment on this, A, uh, because, you know, uh, he was very important to everything we did, but if you think about it, everything we've done but for the 25 years, whether we're doing Pixar Imaging, that was Steve's company, and his support pushed us along, whether it's looking at the educational stuff, the web, whether it's the fact I'm giving you a presentation that I use my MacBook for and I'm recording with Frank sitting back here on a uh, desktop Mac using GarageBand to edit the program uh, and looking at it in PowerPoint. And I'm sorry, Steve, I do not use uh, the Apple uh, thing for doing that, but I, I still like my PowerPoint. But if you think about everything, the iPad, the iPhone, everything we use in education, everything we're using in patient care really came from that focus he had on really trying to uh, change the world. And I think um, hopefully all of us will continue to uh, use that innovation to improve patient care, improve education, improve how we practice. And uh, hopefully we will all somehow carry on that legend. And with that, I wish you a great day.